Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, February 26th. Uh, welcome to everyone who's joining us here in person, those who are joining us online. Our scripture today comes from John 10, 42 If you're following along in your pew Bibles, it's on page 760. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. I gave them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch from them, um, snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods, if he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does, but if I do it, even though you may not believe it, believe the miracle, but believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John has said about this man came true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Blessed is the word. Apologies, I'll try not to hack my way through this. You know, the number one export of small children is the plague. I see you can't seem to go more than two weeks without a new cold. Anyway... <clears throat> So on Memorial Day, it was one of our, our first parades of the season. Um, aye, aye, aye. It was our last parade of the season. Memorial Day is at the end of the year. Aye, aye. So it was our last parade of the season. Um, and and um, so we had often, we didn't often do it in our like full marching gear because think about it, you know, it's the beginning of summer. If you've ever marched in wool uniforms, they're okay in a football game. 
when it's like 30 degrees, but not marching in, you know, 75, 80 degree weather. So anyway, um, it was our last parade of the season, and there were actually three parades. We'd start in Alexandria, which is pretty easy. All of us, we'd, we'd always start at, at like a local uh, memorial um, or the VFW the, or the Legion, and we would march playing, I think, America the Beautiful, if I recall correctly, to the cemetery where we would have a small ceremony. And all the cemeteries are uphill. It's just the way it is around there. All the cemeteries are built uphill. Alexandria was first and the easiest. Um, it was the longest, but it was a gentle rise. And when we got there, it was in this beautiful old glade. I don't know there's a better way to put it. It was a glade. And Mooresville was last, and Mooresville was kind of annoying in that there was no tree cover at all in Mooresville. It's the shortest parade, but then you were standing out on the open sun on the side of this hill. Um, and Petersburg was easily the worst, and that's where Nico made his mistake. Now, Petersburg was the worst. It was the only parade that happened in Petersburg all year long. So Petersburg was tiny. We would start down by the, the War Memorial right in the middle of, right, right, right in the main turn of the town, and we would march to the edge of the cemetery, and then we would actually be allowed to break formation and walk up the hill. This was an incredibly steep hill. It was the kind of hill that in the winter, the hearse never even attempted to get up. If, if somebody was being buried up higher on the hill and there was any snow or ice on the ground, uh, they would uh, walk it up, which is amazing in itself. I mean, this, this was a steep, steep hill. So we got there and, and we broke formation uh, and we all walked up the hill, and then we fell back into formation, and, you know, we went, you know, you know, attention, and then to parade rest. Of course, parade rest, the trumpets like that. And, and walking up that really steep hill, the percussionists were exhausted. Yeah, you ever carried a percussion? It's heavy. And so as soon as the thing ended, uh, the snare players would take their snares off and set them down, and the, the tenor drum player, the guy who's got the drums that go like this around him, Again, off, set him down, and so the bass drum. Now, I know a lot of you know what a bass drum looks like, but just, just to imagine, it's, it's a large cylinder, you know, about yay tall, that's very narrow, but it's got real large ends where the drum head goes. And so as you're playing it, you're marching along, you're going like this. Now, the thing with the bass drum, the other drums, they all connect right down here at the waist. You got a harness that fits on your body, and it actually will go underneath their coats. They'll wear the coats over it if we were wearing coats that year. But the bass drum, it needs to connect up here at the top of the chest, and then it rests on a, a bumper down here. So in theory, what he should have done, what Nico should have done was take off the whole thing and set it down. If he was really smart, he would have set it down and then flipped it so it was lying flat side down. Well, he didn't. And the wind caught it in the middle of a prayer. And that drum went from facing like this to facing like that. And then the wind blew it right down the hill. It's not the kind of drum roll we needed. I had to throw that pun in, come on. And so there goes Nico 
a guy named Adam and myself. You know, we put down our, our instruments, the, the, the trumpet players and the, the brass were at the back of the parade next to the percussionists, so we were really close to them. And so we set down our instruments and we run down that hill. And, and if any of you know about physics, once a wheel starts spinning, it likes to stay in that direction. It's a gyroscope. You know, you've seen those old experiments where you take like a, a bike wheel, disconnected from a bike and just on, a, on an axle, and you, you hold it up, of course it hangs flat down like that. But if you hold it like this and you get it spinning real fast and then you let go and you hold the rope, and you know, it's connected to the axle, the wheel stays like this. And that's what happens when a drum starts rolling down a hill. It wants to stay upright. So when it hit the grave marker, a tall one, but not that tall apparently, it continued in that direction, flying five feet straight up in the air and then on down the hill. We caught it when it hit the, when it hit the tree. Thankfully, the drum wasn't busted and we, we carried it back up and the, the pastor just kind of looked at us and then continued the prayer. And then, of course, the 21-gun salute. And, and this was, I think, 10th grade, so I would have actually been the lead trumpeter so I caught my breath and then played taps. <laughs> anyway, and I bring that up because that was, that was kind of a highlight of our Memorial Day parades. They were fairly boring. You know, we didn't have a lot of people come out to them. It would usually be the local VFW or the Legion. They were the bulk of the people who were there. And you'd have a couple kids who came with, with grandpa and maybe, maybe mom and dad came too, and it was, it was really simple and kind of boring. Now, I actually, I grew up near a town called Bullsburg. You've probably never heard of it, and that's fine. Bullsburg's pretty forgettable. It's uh, bigger than Petersburg, but less there. But Bullsburg's claim to fame is they were the first town in the US, and they're arguing with like two other towns, that began Memorial Day. They, they, as I said, contention on that. And it was a big thing for them. But even if you went there on Memorial Day, it was a pretty quiet ceremony, considering. Couldn't help but wonder sometimes if it's always been like that. And of course it hasn't. In, in the past, it was a big celebration. You know, people would come from all over to, to go to the Bullsburg Memorial Day Parade. Or, or in our small towns, you know, it, it, it was an actual parade where people came to really watch us. It wasn't just like, uh, oh, the, they're going by and they step out of their house and they wave at us and they go back in their house and they're done. It was a big celebration. I guess part of it is, you know, a bit of a blessing. You know, one of the reasons it's not as big is we're, you know, we, we still fight, we're still fighting wars, but nothing in terms of what Vietnam or Korea or the world wars were like. Nothing at that level of scale of death and destruction of our, of our own people let alone of what was happening outside of the borders of our country. It is, it's lost some of its zing, zest, I don't know if that's the right word, some of its 
its importance in the minds of many. You know, most people today, you talk about Memorial Day, they go, oh, it's the beginning of summer, and they go out and they have barbecues. Such is the way things happen. Now, I want you to think about Memorial Day and how important that has been in our national history over time. That's, that's a good holiday to kind of point to. You know, we still all get together for 4th of July and celebrate a lot like people did, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Maybe not on the same levels, but still, the Memorial Day has really become a lesser holiday in the minds of many. Because that is the holiday that's happening right now in Jesus' story. It's a different one, but it's the same sort of idea. Remembering a moment in the past and celebrating the people who made it happen. It is the dedication of the temple. Now, it calls it the dedication of the temple in our, in our Bibles. You all know the other name for it. It's Hanukkah. This is the celebration of Hanukkah. So we're gonna, I want to tell you the Hanukkah story really quick. I actually tried to make a sermon once, a sermon series about this time period, but I could frankly just not draw out enough good topics to preach about. So I'm open to doing this during a Bible study or something, just to, to talk about this weird period of time that we're just missing from our Bible. You know, what happened after the second temple was built under Nehemiah and Ezra? What happened after that? So in a nutshell... Here's the nutshell. So the Judeans, this is now the, the province of Judea, uh, continued to live for a time period underneath the Persian Empire, where they were allowed to pretty much run themselves. And the governors, or the, what they're called satraps, um, were, were, were mostly Jewish and often members of the, of the royal house. In fact, the, the very first one, Zerubbabel, uh, was, was of the noble lineage. He would have been king if things didn't happen differently. So anyway, they had rebuilt what's the second temple. Um, and everything was hunky-dory for a while until the Persians got in a fight with this guy named Alexander. Alexander came over, and, and thanks to his brilliant generalship and the fact that the Persian Empire wasn't doing as hot as it once did, he managed to conquer Persia. Uh, and he went down along the Mediterranean, he conquered all these areas, eventually hit in Egypt, and if you think about that, that's right over top of, of Judea. And sure enough, Judea became a part of this new empire that Alexander was building. And he let them kind of basically live as they had been under the Persians. The Greeks and the Romans later are really fascinated with this idea of antiquity. They really like when something is ancient, so they like the idea of this ancient religion that's been around for thousands of years, you know, that these Jews practice. So they were impressed by it, and like, you guys just, you just do what you need to do. That's fine. It's really cool. If you know the story of Alexander, he goes on and he tries to conquer India. It doesn't work out for him very well, and eventually he is poisoned or he gets sick or something, and, and he dies. They put his body in, in a cask full of honey and apparently bury him somewhere in Egypt. Anyway, that's a lot of honey. Anyway, uh, his young son is probably assassinated shortly after that, and the empire is now broken up between his top generals. Two of them, one of them is named Seleucid, and the other one is named Ptolemy with a P at the beginning. 
looks like Ptolemy, but you don't say pterodactyl, you say pterodactyl, so it's Ptolemy. Anyway, so Ptolemy rules out of Egypt. He self-styles himself as a, as a pharaoh, and when you get to that, that uh, Cleopatra, she's out of that line, and she's Greek. Um, and this other guy, Seleucid, he, he takes over what was once the, the homelands of Persia. He makes that his own. And this, this area of, of the world, this Fertile Crescent, this, this, this Judea and, and, and what we call today, you know, Syria and Jordan and all that, was a battleground between these two new superpowers. And so they kind of get knocked back and forth a little bit. And eventually they end up under the Seleucid Empire. It's okay. The Seleucids and the Ptolemies at first are like, you guys just keep doing what you're doing. As long as you're paying us, it's cool. Until, and I don't remember all these names, just go with it on this. You can check it out yourself and try to pronounce the names if you'd like to. Anyway, along comes a new Seleucid king who wants people to be more Greek like him. It's called Hellenization. The Greeks are also called Hellens. Just go with it. So he wants to Hellenize all of his empire. He wants to make the people all more the same. He wants them all to, to speak the same language, to have the same values, to worship the same way, to dress the same way. It makes a lot of sense from an empire standpoint, right? It's hard to rule an empire in which everybody is different and has different values and ways of doing things. It's a lot easier if they all do things the same way. So he's going to make these crazy Jews and their one God, and you know they don't eat pork and things like that, going to make them more Greek. So he, he sets up uh, gymnasiums, he sets up temples, he, he bans certain things like circumcision, um, and, and he tr actually, um, and he tries to close the temple. It doesn't go well. And he'll eventually do some more forceful things, like invade Jerusalem, go up to the temple, and slaughter a pig on the altar of God. That is one of the most ultimate insults you could do. But that's what he does. And then he goes out and he says, all of you, you know, everyone out there and out and about, you all are going to um, do as I did, and you're going to slaughter pigs to your God. Now, I know I talked a little bit about this, but again, quick reminders. The only people allowed to kill animals for eating, in terms of livestock, um, were priests. You can go out and hunt, that was different. But if you wanted to eat sheep, you took your sheep to a local priest. And he would actually do the killing and the butchering for you. And part of the sheep was burnt to God. Specifically, the suet, that's the fat layer under the skin, and the fat layers around certain internal organs, along with the kidneys and some other things. They were only allowed, they were never allowed to be eaten. They had to be burned as an offering to God. Now, of course, that didn't work when you only had a centralized temple. So what they actually had were lots of little altars all around. Every village had an altar and a Levite who lived in the area. And it was their job to handle that. So he goes and he, he goes, so I'm sorry, the, these um, um, people who, who worked for the, the king of Seleucid, the Seleucid king, 
um, go out taking pigs to all these little altars and forcing the local priest to do it. And he goes to this one place where this guy named Simon is the priest. Now, he is of the lineage of, of Aaron, um, just like all the other priests are. Um, and this was the local village that he handled. And he tries to force Simon to kill a pig on the altar where he burns, you know, the offerings to God from the local village. And Simon refuses. And so he tries, he's, he's, he's using, you know, force. And eventually someone breaks, another Jew breaks and goes and takes the pig to kill it. And Simon is so enraged that he kills the guy who's going to do it. And then he kills the, the king's um, messengers. It doesn't work out well, right? You don't want to kill the king's messengers unless you're making a rebellion. Well, guess what? He did. And the head of that rebellion ended up being his son, Judah, or Judas the Hammer, or Judas Maccabeus. They ended up rebelling, and they did really well. They ran a guerrilla campaign, if you understand what that means, you know, the hit-and-run operations, using the same kind of methods that David had used against Saul and the Philistines, and they were successful. They managed to drive the Seleucid Empire out of Judea. They managed to retake Jerusalem and the temple of God. And they get up there, and this is the second temple. This is not Solomon's temple. This is the second temple. Never nearly as beautiful or as grand until Herod got his hands onto it. Um, but this is the, yeah, but it's there. And it's in tatters. You know, the great curtain that separates the Holy of Holies is broken. The altar um, and, and everything has been stained in, in, well, pig's blood. And, well, human excrement. The Seleucids were not taking this loss easily. They needed to make it right again. So they went and they cleaned it. They got rid of all the old stones and they brought in new ones and rebuilt the altar. They, they went and, and set right all the, the special little bits and pieces that go in the temple, like the bread of the, the table of presentation where bread was set out for God. Uh, and, and the lamp, the lamp that gave light to the holy. The holy of holies was where the if, if they had had it, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. But then there was the outer area that the priests would generally work in called the Holy. And, of course, you guys all know what happens next. They didn't have enough oil consecrated, and it was going to take so much time to gather and consecrate more oil to put in the lamp, and they weren't going to desecrate anything further. Um, but they only had enough for so many days, and it ended up burning for, what is it, eight days. It was a miracle. Well, that became, the te that, that date was then marked every year as a day of dedication to the temple, a celebration, Hanukkah. Imagine, imagine their first year coming together and celebrating that they had, had kicked the Seleucids out, that they had, re they had become their own nation for the first time since, wow, before that they were, they were, you know, they were in exile in 
well, they were ruled by the Persians. They were in exile under the Babylonians. Before that, they were ruled over by the Babylonians as a client state. Before that, ruled over by the Assyrians as a client state. There was parts of their history where they were ruled over by Egypt as a client state. You know, this is the first time in centuries that they rule themselves under the Maccabean, um, under the Maccabean dynasty who are an interesting group of people in themselves, check it out sometime. We'll do a Bible study. So for the first time, they rule themselves. They worship the way they want to worship. They have returned to a worship style that was much closer to the Bible they were reading, to Deuteronomy, to Leviticus, to Exodus, to Numbers. They were returning to what they wanted. And it was a grand celebration. It became a big party. But time passed. The Maccabeans, interesting group of people, not the best set of kings and not always the best set of, of God followers, did lots of terrible things. Um, and eventually they, they made a deal to keep the Seleucids out. They made a deal with this new republic forming over on the other side of the Mediterranean, called the Romans. It didn't work out. They went from being an allied state to being a client state to being a province, eventually, by the time the Maccabeans fell. And the last Maccabean fell to this guy called Herod the Great, who had a axe to grind with these, uh, these Maccabeans and these Jews. Now, Herod is not actually Jewish, like not a traditional Jewish. He's not of the bloodline. He is, uh, oh man, he's an Imudean, uh, Imudean. He is of the line of Esau. That's Jacob's brother, Israel's brother. And he's from Edom. His family had been conquered by the Maccabeans, and they forced everybody in Edom to become Jewish. You know, there's nothing like creating a new faithful people by forcing them to do it, right? That, that works great. No? So you can imagine, you know, this celebration of Hanukkah, maybe not very high on, on Herod the Great or later Herod uh, Antipater? I wanted to say antipasta, but that's not right. That's an that's a appetizer. But, you know, it's not real high on the Herod list because it's a celebration of the Maccabeans overthrowing a ruthless empire. You can imagine how the Romans felt about it. And so it had just become kind of like Memorial Day to a lot of them. They had forgotten the reason for the celebration. They just knew they got together and that there was a celebration, but they had forgotten the reason for it. They had forgotten what their, their forefathers and mothers had gone through in order to have the temple again, in order to celebrate that they had dedicated the temple, that they had cleansed it, they had cleaned it. It had become eh to them. And then this guy, Jesus, shows up. Now, the story happening over this is they, they start asking him, 
are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah, the anointed one who's supposed to set everything right? They are looking for this dedication, this rededication to happen again, where they will be re-energized, where the reason they are gathering to celebrate at the temple is made plain again that they really will celebrate, that they aren't doing it because that's just what you do in the winter. Oh, it's kind of like when we use the words, you know, keep Christ and Christmas. You know, we remember, it's not that we just get together to give each other gifts. We're there for a celebration, for a reason. We don't come together for Easter just to give kids eggs. Now, the kids may not believe that, but we know there's a bigger reason behind it. And so we, we talk about it. So that's what they want. They, they want that dedication to happen. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who is going to be like Judas the hammer? That you are going to save us? That you are going to take us out of this empire and give us our own nation back? Are you going to make it so we can rededicate this temple yet again to a new Jewish nation? Are you going to get rid of this Herod? (coughs) Excuse my plague. Now, I love Jesus' response. I've already told you. Here's the thing. If you want to go back and read all of John again, guess what Jesus does not tell them? He doesn't tell him that he's the Messiah. He just does it. It's like, I already told you. No, he didn't. But then he goes on. It's not that he said, you know, like, you know, come up, knock, knock, knock. Hey, high priest Caiaphas, I'm the Messiah. He didn't do that. But by his actions, he made it apparent. That's emphasized at the beginning and the end of the story. Jesus tells them that at the beginning of the story, and then we hit the end of the story where it's like, John the Baptist is proved right because we have seen all of his prophecies come true in the actions of Jesus. Jesus doesn't have to tell you the Messiah. It is apparent to those whose eyes are opened. He's also making a claim that I am not here to give you what you all wanted. You all want me to be another Judas. Positive Judas, not Iscariot. He's not not a negative character yet in the story. You know, you all want me to be another hammer. But that's not who I am. That's not my way. I'm not going to be a hammer. You know, I, I already have a group of people that I'm leading. And it's not you the temple elite, or, you know, the Pharisaical elite, or the, the Sanhedrin, or, you know, the nation. It's those who have seen my actions and recognized who I am. They are the ones who follow the Father, just as I follow the Father, you know, and I, it is for them. It is for them I am building this new kingdom. And we all know how this ends out. I mean, I read the story to you. It, it upsets them. They, they're, they're saying, you know, He's saying blasphemy. He's not being the kind of person that he wants them to, they want him to be. And so they threaten to stone him. Now, of course, part of this story is we can look at it and go, oh, you know, they're trying to stone him because he's a blasphemer. But I think another big part of it is they want to stone him because he's not living up to their expectations. How often does that happen? 
You know, we, we get some important leader out there, some actor or politician or, you know, whatnot. And the people, they don't live up to expectations because no one's perfect. You know, it's like, I, I remember this in high school. Now, I, I went to a very rural, very white high school. I think we had two black kids in the whole school. Everybody else is white with a small smattering of people who, who are anywhere from 0.1% to 15% native. That's it. But, you know, every year, you know, like every other public school, we have Martin Luther King celebrations, Martin Luther King Day, and, and we read. And inevitably, you have somebody bring up, and, and this isn't news to anybody, but, you know, Martin Luther King, as much as we might admire him and love him, he wasn't a perfect guy, and he's known to have had affairs, and that is, I mean, we know that from history. We know that is true. And inevitably, somebody will bring it up as this whole thing where obviously we shouldn't respect any of Martin Luther King's work because he wasn't perfect. He wasn't what we expected him to be. Therefore, we should throw him all out. Now, that's obviously not the right answer. Because nobody is perfect, and while I say I'm, I'm saddened that he did things like that, on the other hand, he did a lot of good things. And we can say that about every person out there. You know, no matter how great they are, they've got a couple skeletons in the closet. Things they shouldn't have done. And so, inevitably, somebody says that we shouldn't listen at all to anything he says. Same thing here. Obviously, Jesus isn't the one we expected, the way we expected. Therefore, we should throw out everything he said. Now, of course, he doesn't have any skeletons like that in his closet. It's just hard to compare Jesus to a perfect person who just doesn't agree do things the way we do because, well, there's no other perfect people. Anyway. <clears throat> so they reject him. He's not the dedication, the rededication they were looking for. It's not the way they were looking for. And so Jesus leaves. This will be, I think I made a mistake in the earlier sermon. This will be the last time that Jesus will be in Jerusalem before his arrest and all of that. He will leave. He is running away. After this point, Jerusalem becomes too dangerous for him to be at. And we'll go into next week why he comes back. And the way the story feels, it feels like he's running away and he's coming right back. But when you kind of dig into what happens, it makes it apparent that he's actually away for some period of time. It's just John doesn't bother telling us how long he's away. But he's gone for some period I found it funny that, that, that Brother Doug brought up the, rev, the revival that's happening around this nation at this time. And it just, it happened to dovetail so nicely into this. Jesus was going to offer a revival to the faith. It may not have looked like what everyone else believed it should look like. And it was going to take it into a new way. And the temple would, after this point, 
You know, in Christianity, early Christianity, the temple was still super important. The Christians continued to meet there until it wasn't an option anymore for them. I know those in Bible study, you were looking at the, that video last week where they showed the temple. They're like, here, here in this place, the colonnade of the king, that is where the Christians first met. And eventually, that wouldn't be there anymore because it would be torn apart with everything else. And they would move on to other areas. But the temple would gradually fall into lesser and lesser importance, even in Judaism. It's no longer that important in their worship. It's still important theologically. And, and to this day, even if they were allowed up on the Temple of the Mount, um, which is where the, 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 the Dome of the Rock stands, it's a holy Islam site in Islam, they won't walk across there even if they were allowed up there because they may walk over where the Holy of Holies sat at one time. And they don't want to walk through that. But Jesus, Jesus is going to move what that means to have that dedicated temple. He's going to introduce this idea. The temple isn't this place you go to, but something within you. This residing spot where the Holy Spirit sits within each of us, that we ourselves are the temples of God. This plays back to, to you know, what I, I, we've talked about when it comes to, to, exit, or to Genesis and the Ten Commandments. We are the reflections of God. We are created in the image of God. We are also the ones who contain a bit of God in each of us. We are the temples of God. And what Jesus says in here, he says, you are God. It comes from a psalm in which David calls himself and his other, other people, believers, other Jews, you know, we are the sons of God, thereby making us gods. Now, he's doing it poetically. He's not actually saying he's the divinity. But he does mean that we really are the sons of gods and the daughters of God. That we are the reflections, we are the temples. When it comes to Memorial Day, I think it's still important that we celebrate it. I may be a pacifist, but I recognize that people give up their lives to, to work for the greater good for others. I wish it was a bigger celebration sometimes. Other than, you know, when we would gather at a lot of those spots, the band with the color guard outnumbered everyone else. We look for revival, revitalization. We all have that chance in Jesus and in this story just to reach out and grab onto it. Not to be waiting for somebody to come do it for us. It's already there. The Spirit's already in you. You just have to live into it, to talk about it, to act in it, celebrate it. As we go on with next week's story and as we travel ever closer to Easter, 
will discover that revitalization does happen. But it happens when people take risks. When they're willing to step out of their comforts and to put their lives in danger. That revitalization will happen. What kind of revitalization? One that will begin in death and end in life. Not once, but twice. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the fire that burns in you. Don't be afraid to celebrate, to dance, and to tell everyone you meet that you have met the Messiah and you are his sheep. Thank you. I hope to see most of you tonight at the East Nimishillan Church of the Brethren. Um, your, bullet, your directories that you have, I'm pretty sure have the address in there if you're just not 100% sure. At 7 p.m. to hear Brother Brian Lehman preach Snacks to Follow. Hope to see you there. I hope you are revitalized. And I hope as you go out this week and hopefully come to the service tonight and as you interact with people, you will talk about what God has done for you and that you will feel the movement of the Spirit leading you on the pathways of this life, filling you with warmth and heat and power. Amen.